Hello, welcome to the Word on the Hill. You're listening to it, it's very cool. I thought there'd be a rhyme there. I, I, I wanted to rhyme, but then I wanted an internal rhyme, just because that's what the nature of our podcast really is. It's about discovering the internal rhymes of the readings as we uh, engage them for the peoples. Did you have an internal rhyme? No. So you just said it in your heart? Yeah, I, well, I just ah, was like trying to discover it. That's what you mean it. by internal. Yeah, so like, like welcome. You just let it flow. Hill, cool, I don't know. That doesn't work. That doesn't. There's a name for, for a word that almost rhymes with something but doesn't quite, which is not this, <laughs> but there is a technical term for that. Well, welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Mussett. My name is Scott Powell, and uh, our apologies for being um, absent last week. I don't think we've ever, for any reason in the last seven years, gotten as many emails and Facebook messages. Oh, no. And, like it got dire. I, I'm, I'm. <laughs> there's like messages and comments and things that people like are are genuinely worried about us, which I've reflect and I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for all of our, our yes, loving listeners. You. But it it it's the curse of consistency. <laughs> that, right, right. And um, yeah, circumstances came up and we we just couldn't record last week. Things things happened. Um, and I think our podcast the week before just came out on Friday, which was you know. Right. But it, but it seemed very dire to people, and they were very worried that something was wrong. The Valentine's Day massacre of Father Peter and Scott, or something. Oh, I, no. I don't, I don't know. But we're fine. We're here. Yeah, we're Everything's here. cool, you guys. Hey, and we love don't you worry. guys. So sorry. And um, I, uh, I'm so thankful for your dedication and your love and your consideration of us. It really, it means the world. And thank you all for reaching out and for, um, yeah, for reaching out and making sure we're okay and checking on us and yeah. And all you priests who are frantically having to write your own homilies on Sunday. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, so sorry. So sorry, so sorry. for so that. So sorry. Yeah. We're back. Everything's yeah, we're, cool. Everything's fine. And it's the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time, um, which is like, I don't know. I don't know if we've even ever done that. Because no, basically we, we, we didn't have a sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time in the last seven years. Because Lent and every year, what are we? We're year B, right? Yeah. In every year B for the, for the last two year Bs, that's complicated, um, Lent has started after the fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time. No. So there was no sixth or seventh. So we got no reruns to fall back on. Right. So it's all us. Oh, yeah, there we go. So, well, our first reading today is from Leviticus. One of my favorite books. Chapter 19, verses 1 to 2, 17 to 18. It's a big jump. Our psalm is from Psalm 103. The Lord is kind and merciful. Verse 1 through 2, 3 to 4, 8, 10, 12 to 13. Eight, eight. And then our second reading is from First Corinthians mm-hmm. three sixteen to twenty three. You know what would be fun is to just hold up posters in football games of just super random First Corinthians three sixteen instead <laughs> yeah. of John three sixteen. <laughs> yeah. Leviticus three sixteen. <laughs> just use the three sixteen, right? The yeah, just the three sixteen, man. But other books. Damn. Oh, that's good. Damn. All right. Our gospel is from Matthew 3.16. No, I'm just kidding. Matthew. <laughs> wait, we're in Matthew. Are we in your A? Yeah, we're in your A. I said we're in your B. My mistake. It's the, it's the Canadian lectionary year. Your A. Uh, a. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 48. 38, 48. That's how we roam. All right. Do you know what a yolk is? Um, Is that the center of an egg? No, that's a yolk. Okay. I mean a yolk. Is that uh, something funny that you say? <laughs> no, that's a yolk. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. All right. So do you remember- um, A yolk uh, is something that you put on an ox. Sometimes. So I can think of four different meanings of Do- yolk. Dog yolk? Uh, you can put it on for mushing a dog? 
Would that still be called a yoke? Yeah, yeah. You would you would you, you would yoke a, a herd of of dogs to is it, is it a dog pack a dog pack. There's going to be a movie with Harrison Ford about a dog pack. That no, there's he's, not. Oh he's no, wait, uh, wait, wait, Fang, Wolf Fang, uh, yeah. Call of the Wild. Yeah, is it yeah, Call the Wild? Yeah, yeah. I it was, looks really good. Yeah, I I saw like a a preview on a yeah. YouTube video, and I was like, I was like, oh, this dog makes it. me want to cry, man. I like Harrison Ford. I don't care what anybody says. I like dogs. Then together <laughs> we we're can unstoppable watch it <laughs> as a, a lanky guys duo. All right, so a yolk. You have a yolk of an egg. That's Y O L K. A yolk. yolk of oxen or dogs or something that is something you put around the necks of things to make them kind of work in unison with each other. Right. But then there's a yolk in a rabbinic sense, which I, is a summary of yes. the the entirety of the prophets and law. Yeah. So so remember in the Gospels when Jesus says. Um, all of the prophets, all the law and the prophets are summed up in these two things. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. That is essentially Jesus's yoke, right? So it's really common in Jesus's time for every rabbi basically to have their, because the law, there's a lot of laws, right? There's 613 right. laws. There's rules. There's there's things. And, and in Jesus's time, there was, the rabbis had a tendency to yoke around a lot. Okay. I <laughs> That's good. You that could see good. it in my eyes. You could feel. I know. Me. I knew. I knew there was something. You're going like, on. you're going to interrupt mm. me with something stupid. I knew there was something coming. So everybody, Rabbi had a yoke, which is why when Jesus says, um, I, I forget exactly where he says, uh, a Rabbi, take a my, Roman, and a centurion walk into a bar. You are killing me. <laughs> Jesus, take my yoke upon you. My, so my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't mean my my metal or wooden thing around your neck that I'm going to pull you around on. He means right. my understanding of the law that I both am and gave is light and easy. And it's only light and easy because I will carry it on your behalf and with you and for you. Right. So that, that's actually what he means. So um, I, I, lo- I love, there's the famous saying of, uh, is it Rabbi? Oh, I'm blanking on his name. It's not Rabbi. Wilhelm? <laughs> no, it's not Rabbi Wilhelm. Anyway, there's the story of this rabbi who was a contemporary of Jesus who was asked by these Gentiles, as the story goes in the Mishnah, um, we will become followers of Yahweh if you can recite the whole of the law while standing on one foot. And he picked up a foot and he says, love one another, or do unto, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he put his foot down. He's like, that's the whole thing summarized. So everybody, this is a great example of... of the summary statement. And so the reason I bring that up is for is twofold. twofold. Number one, Jesus's yoke, the one that he summarizes all of the law and the prophets as love God and love your neighbor as yourself, actually comes from Leviticus. Mm. I think it comes from the next chapter. I think it's in chapter 20. So um, Leviticus, part, part of my way into this is Leviticus has this weird bad reputation. Re- Leviticus, at least in religious circles and biblical studies circles, is kind of the butt of jokes. Like Leviticus, let's quote Leviticus in our Bible study. Well, yeah, it's often used in in a in a um, uh, in, in a contemporary world as a degradation of the ideas. I mean, because it has all of the kind of weird laws about um, anything to do with blood, and so a lot of blood, a lot of blood in Leviticus, and a lot of so, blood, a lot of animals, a lot of sacrificing, and so and so people just like. Uh, so so people can come down hard on it. Yeah, well, here's what people don't realize. Leviticus is quoted over 40 times in the New Testament. Wow. Which is actually remarkable, which tells you, and it comes out of Jesus's mouth a lot, which tells you that at least for Jesus, this is a very important book. Right. I think part of the reason that, that maybe not people don't like it, but it makes people uncomfortable. There, there's two reasons I think it makes people uncomfortable. Okay. Number one, and these are these are right reasons. If you've ever tried to read Leviticus before, like straight through, 
most people don't enjoy it. And it's twofold. Number one, it's because Leviticus was in a certain sense given as a punishment. Mm. This book comes out of the great sin where Israel worshipped the golden calf. And in worshipping the golden calf, committing this apostasy at the foot of Mount Sinai when God had set them free from Egypt, was giving them his laws while Moses is literally receiving the, the marriage vows up on the mountain. They are worshipping and committing apostasy with this false liturgy down below. And it was that act that they believe made the firstborn sons of all of Israel lose the priesthood. They were stripped of the priesthood. And the priesthood was then moved to a tribe called Levi, the Levites, who were the only ones to sort of stand up against this apostasy. So the reasons, the two reasons that people don't tend to like Leviticus is number one, it was given as a punishment in a certain sense. And number two, it wasn't primarily written for us. It was primarily written for the Levitical priests who are now sort of plan B because of this grave sin that they've committed as to how basically to try to get people back on track in a sort of situation of spiritual triage, right? Where we have become not the people that God wanted us to be, but God needs to find a way as his sort of immature children, quite frankly, to get us back. So how do you deal with a child who is disobedient? You add laws, you create rules, you create boundaries, right? That are frustrating usually for the child, but ultimately, you know, they're to lead the child to happiness and to safety and to be the person they're supposed to be. That's right. Leviticus. That's what right. it's doing. And sometimes if you're the child, the laws actually seem arbitrary. They're like, why do I have to do this thing? Why do I have to do the dishes or take out the trash? Or <laughs> our friend Thomas Smith. Yeah. Do you remember Tom Smith? Yeah, of course. He told me this story in regards to Leviticus. He said his, his bro- he and his brothers were just troublemakers up in this farm in Idaho where they grew up. And so their dad every day during the summer would just bring truckloads of lumber And he would be like, all right, you guys, your job is to go through every piece of lumber and just take all of the old nails out. And they would just spend days and hours taking nails out of lumber. And the dad was always like, I'm going to build something someday with this, which he never did. And he was just like, he just needed to keep us busy all summer because he knew we'd destroy something. But that's I, I like that as an analogy for Leviticus. Yeah, It's like, okay, this seems weird and arbitrary, but there actually is a good in mind here. So right. anyway, um, that's Leviticus. But the other reason I bring up yoke, so number one, because Jesus's yoke actually comes from here. But number two... I think you could say the yoke of Leviticus actually comes from a reading today. And this is if you had to find a summary statement of all of Leviticus, how do you make sense of the whole darn book? It's actually what we get here. So it says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the whole Israelite community and tell them, be holy for I, the Lord, your God is whole, am holy. Mm. And if you had to summarize the whole book of Leviticus in one sentence, it is that be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. And so right. you can split the book of Leviticus into two halves. So you have the first half of the book, which is essentially chapters. E- even, even though this wholly summarizes the book of Leviticus, you can still cut it into two. Holy summarizes. Uh, yes, yes. But, but here's, but there, I know you're making a joke, but there's, <laughs> you actually bring up an important point. So the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 10, is about how to get to God, the way to God. Because what does it mean to be holy? It means to be like God. And so if we want to be holy, we have to get to God. So chapters 1 through 10 are all about how do we know God? And the two ways that the book tells us how to get to God are, number one, sacrifice, self-denial. 
you're worshiping all of these animals. You're putting things over and in front of God. So you have to show me that you will reject those things. Right. So that's where you get all the stuff about animal sacrifice. That's in chapters one through seven. Then chapter eight and 10 is all about the priesthood. Here are the people that I'm setting up on your behalf to mediate this. You need teachers. You need people who will point you to where I am because mm. little children sometimes get lost. You know, if they're wandering around the mall and they don't follow mom or dad, they're going to get lost somewhere. You need figures to look to, to follow. Mm. So that's chapters one through 10. It's how to get to God. Then chapter uh, what 11 through 27, I guess, it's about how to get holy, the way to holiness. First, mm. you have to find the way to God. Right. And then once you've found the way to God, through self-sacrifice, through right. abandon, denying yourself of these things that are bad for you, and to have people to teach you and to lead you there, then it's the way to holiness. Then is the way to be like God. And in that half of the book, second of the book, you have two ways to, to be holy. The one is through sanitation, which is kind of what you brought up earlier. Sanitation is a funny word, but making ourselves clean, things that are clean and unclean, how you wash your hands, how you basically symbolically show that I want to be pure and clean to be in the presence of God. Right. I found God now. I see him. Now I want to be like him. And then the second half is through sanctification. So sanitation and sanctification is always the way I think about it. How to clean ourselves and how to get to God. So um, that's a, your crash course on the book of Leviticus, which is a really fascinating book if you put it in that context. But again, if you if you whittle everything down, what is the point of this book that nobody really wants to read? Be holy for I, the Lord, am holy. Here's who I am. I want you to know me, Israel. And here's how you ought to be like me. Mm. And we get a tiny little snapshot that's not terribly bloody in, you know, a few <laughs> verses ahead where it says, well, here's a couple of ways to do it. Don't bear hatred for your brother or sister in your heart, though you may have to reprove your fellow citizens. You may have to correct each other. Don't incur sin because of him. Don't bear hatred when you have to correct each other. Take no revenge and cherish no grudge against any of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus says. I am the Lord. It's just like, okay, here's a quick snapshot of how God is asking his people in that time and also all of us now to be like him. Well, but but the corrective at the very end is so critically important. The I am the Lord? Uh, yeah, because he says you should love the neighbor as yourself. Remember, you're not in control. This is I am the Lord, which means you're not the right. Lord. I'm the Lord. Yeah, okay, so so like be like me, but but just remember as you're mm. doing all of these things that that as you're going along, I am above answer. you, and you're going to try to be like me, uh, but I remain me, and you are you. And so just Which remember. is what gives us the freedom to be us. Right, exactly. Because even these, and maybe I, I, I didn't give enough credit to this little snapshot that seems... I, my, my first, and I'll be, this is confessional, I suppose, but my first thought was like, oh, that's a safe passage to choose. You know what I mean? Like, yes. be nice to each other, love each other. Okay, cool. But but the more I'm actually hearing you talk, I mean, what then the more I'm reading it more carefully, it talks not just about loving each other, just love and hold hands. It says you might have to correct each other and reprove each other, but don't bear hatred. And how often when you know we see something that needs correcting or some wrong that needs to be righted, we see it out of hatred. How dare that person? How could they? What a fool! What whore? You know, we we don't. And we, we do that, I think, or at least I do it. I see injustice and I see wrongs or I see things that I think ought to be another way. And I get anger and probably to some degree hatred in my heart. And I think the reason that we're all prone to that is because we think we're God. If I don't write this, who else will? If I don't show this person the truth, 
who else will? I have to be God and master in this circumstance because I don't trust that anyone else is in control. And would, I feel like that all the time. Right. <laughs> it's like, nobody else is going to do this. I guess I got to do it myself. Man, I had a big crisis of faith this last spring where I just was like, God, why aren't you answering the, the cry of your people? Said the ha. And, and, and in the midst of it, I decided, oh, well, I have to be the one yeah. who answers the cry of God's people. And to some degree, you're right. That's why this is a tricky little balance. Because right. they said, no, you do have to do that to some degree. Right. But but, but, but if you do that out of faithlessness, yeah. of thinking that you're the one in charge, right. boy, how do you will wreck yourself. Yeah. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. So like, that's the thing is that I like, I did, I, I was like wrecking myself yeah. and I was getting more and more exhausted. And the Lord is like, no, what I need from you is I need you to surrender yourself to me and I will show you the path and I will yeah. provide the ways in which you can correct without hate. I can, that you can, that you can actually um, offer, uh, um, um, I, you can offer truth without incurring sin, that you can do it in a faithful way saying that, I, yes, um, I, you, I am the Lord and I am the Savior and you're just participating in my plan. Right. Right, which is meant to take the weight off of our shoulders. Right, and 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 to, to take it so that you're not just so exhausted as you're going through your days, thinking, "Man, it's all up to me." It's all up to me. And he's like, "No, no, be yeah, like me, yeah. and and offer yourself to me, and I will show you, and I'll include you. I'll let right. you hand me the tools. I'll let you. I'll let you spin a bolt every once in a while." <laughs> yeah, it's like the little kid who's watching his dad put together an Ikea shelf versus the dad that says testimony, right. Versus the dad that says, if you don't put together this Ikea shelf perfectly, when I, by the time I'm coming to come back, I'm going to make you me out so much. Right, (laughs) right, right. I'm going to have words with you. And you're like, Oh no, I don't have the tool. It was like the other day when I was, you were, you needed a screwdriver and I gave you six (laughs) options and you were like, "Ah." it was a little paralyzing. Yeah. But, or the other extreme, the dad who's like, no, I will do it myself. You can sit over there and watch. You're too young. You're too little. We actually have a father who's like, no, I can do it. I know how to do this. And I'm going to let you participate. I'm not going to force you to sit over there and be like, no, this is my job. I'm God. You're not God. Sit over there. Be quiet. I'll do it. Like, no, come participate. Be a part. I mean, I have little kids and the thrill of being able to turn the screwdriver or or work the socket wrench. You know, like you can't give them full reign over it because they're going to ruin it. But there's something really empowering and beautiful about here. Help me assist me, accompany me in doing this task. But that as they grow, they have a greater and greater ability until finally, right, until finally the joy. I can just go sit and have a nice tea and watch them do the shelf. Oh no, and then you can just I'm do just greater projects. I'm just kidding. You, I know. You, you, I totally scandalized you. Gun. Oh no. I, which goes to our psalm, which says, yes, the, yes, Lord, yes, the yes. Lord is kind and merciful. Yeah. He's kind about how he approaches us. Right. Right. He's, he's, he, which he doesn't just actually, mean he's nice. Right. Oh, he's nice. No, he actually grasps the full import of our being and yes. all of our experiences and our levels and how holy we have made ourselves available to be. And, and like he's, yeah. he always wants us to be more and more with him, yeah. but he grasps where we actually are without, without compunction or guile. I'm really struck by this, uh, by this furniture building analogy. <laughs> and I don't mean to take it too far, but, I, again, and all you parents I know resonate with this. I, I mean, I've been in the situation we all have where your kid is helping you do some project or put something together and they'll just strip the heck out of the screw or they, you know, put a hole where it's not supposed to be a hole. And it's so frustrating. You're like, oh, you just stripped the screw, you know. Yes. That's where 
and that's again, it's such a trite analogy, but like hearing, you know, God is kind and merciful. What would a kind and merciful father do when their son is, who's trying, they just strip the screw. They're like, it's okay. We'll get it out. We'll try again. We'll do another one. Right. And that's the kind of father I aspired to be. I mean, I know, I know we, as fathers particularly, but human beings in general, but I can only speak as a father. I know all of the ways in which I fail at being a father because there is some icon built into my heart about what a true father is supposed to be. And even if whether we've experienced that in our lives or not, we always know when we fall short or when someone in our lives falls short because there is an icon built into all of us that we know what true fatherhood, what true kindness and mercifulness is right. so that we know when we fall short. Which is mercious and gracious is the Lord, slow to did anger. Did you say mercious and gracious? <laughs> did I say that? Yeah. Mercious and gracious. <laughs> He's merciful and graciousful <laughs> is the Lord, slow yeah. to anger and abounding in kindness. Yeah. Slow to anger. Yeah. Not according to our sins does deal with us. No, he deals with us according to our potential. Right. Nor does he requite us according to our crimes. No, he requites us because he sees the, the what he actually is trying to do within us. He's not like, oh, you, I'm going to reduce you down to what your mistakes are. He also sees in our freedom what we are really trying to do. Right. I get what your intention is. You totally blew it. You totally ostracized yourself from that person. You burned that bridge. Right. But you tried, and you stripped the screw, so to speak. Right. We'll, you, try, we'll you, try again. And you I'm didn't not post gonna, a podcast. You didn't <laughs> post the podcast. Everyone <laughs> thinks you're thinks you're dead. <laughs> but but it's okay. You can get back up. Yeah, exactly. You can make another podcast, and it'll be all good. Yeah. Like, no, it's it, isn't that isn't that beautiful? And like, it's really beautiful. He's it's really he, beautiful. I need that so profoundly. Yeah. And and the reason why we all we do, do that, and we all long for it. I mean, I'm even as we're talking, there's something bubbling up in my heart that's like, oh man, I want that so bad. I want right. to be that so bad, but I also want it so bad. I know, and that's why Leviticus is the right framework, right? Because we need to see God is. I mean, this should we should be see Him and see His kindness and mercifulness and say, yeah, that's it. But then the secondary response should be, and now I want to be like that. Right. I get it, and now I want it. I want to do that. That's Leviticus. That's the whole framework, right? Right. Be, know God, and then be like unto God. Right. Be holy as your heavenly father is holy. And how does he do that? It's in an amazing way, and which which actually, this is go. where we go into Corinthians, mm. and he's he's like, okay, be holy as I'm holy. I'm going to step this up to the next level. Yes, exactly right. I'm he blows go this ten, open. 10 yeah. levels up. Yes, yes. Because remember, they have the framework. If their, Corinth was a primarily Gentile city. We right. know there was a synagogue there. Right. So there were some Jews, but these are people who are coming from, from pagan religions or, or whatever. And so the temptation is to think, well, they don't know the Old Testament. They're not steeped in, in Judaism. But in the first century, to become a Christian convert, you would absolutely be steeped in the Old Testament. Yes. So I guarantee you they knew the precepts of Leviticus. They knew the mm. concept, be holy like I am holy. They would mm. have studied it. They would have been tested on it. They would have been grilled on it because in the early church, to be accepted into the family of God, you need to know the family story and history and family rules and the, the house norms and all the stuff. Yeah. So all that is to say, even though, again, my, uh, you need to know the password of the common room. You need to know the password of the common room. Um, <laughs> Um, Neville Longbottom is going to lose it every time. <laughs> I'm just trying to show off my... Hey, that was good. Anyway, that was um, good. Well, what was I saying? Oh, they do have a framework. So when they're hearing these words, I think it's sparking something else. That That's the best way to teach, right? Is to take a concept that's familiar and then tweak it ever so slightly so your mind finds the thing that's that's not... 
matching, right? right. Well, wait a second. Be holy as your as your, my father. I'm supposed to be like God, and you're telling me I actually have God in me. That's really close to what Leviticus told me, but you're telling me something that's so blown open than that. That's totally different. Right. It's not totally different. Right. It's another level of it, like you're saying. I just it's it's actually so radical that it makes me uncomfortable. Do you it know, should make you uncomfortable. It, it's always like because like what do you do to a temple? You you go and you actually encounter God there. Yeah, that in some yeah. way yeah. we are we have been able to be so configured to the Lord and invited into this thing that they can encounter the Lord within us. Yeah. Everyone. Right. And and uh, honest to goodness, not to, to, honest to goodness. Why? <laughs> honest to goodness. Honest to good and gravy. Um, but the, that's where the context of Corinth is very important because this is by far, well, it's one of Paul's harshest letters. He does a lot of calling out. He does a lot of what the, uh, the first reading actually says. When you have to reprove someone or call them out, right. do it without hatred. And Paul spends most of 1 Corinthians calling and reproving people right. because they are not doing this. And to the degree, I mean, there's the knowledge of it in Leviticus, but to the degree that they've, they've literally become temples of the Holy Spirit with each other, and they are misrepresenting that. And they are actually not living that and not recognizing it in one another. And they're worshiping people who are not God, like Paul and Apollos and Peter, and treating them as though they're the Christ. They're like, you are mishandling the temple that God gave you. It's not just you're not being like God. God's taken it so far beyond that. And now you have to be corrected because you are, um, you are scandalizing what is within you. Because of all sorts of other things that are going on in Corinth. There's sexual immorality, there's liturgical abuse, there is um, um, personality cult we've talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? You're worshiping things that are not Jesus. So this is a big deal for Paul. Yeah. And he's using this very important framework. Because, like you said, how do you treat a temple? You reverence it. You, 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 you walk and present yourself and move about in a certain way. There's something I remember um, being very moved and struck when I was in college and I got to spend a semester in Europe and traveling to all these different. And I was, I was, you know, just kind of rediscovered my faith pretty recently and was totally on fire and was loving all this stuff. And there was a part of me that was just so angry going around Western Europe and seeing how all of these great pilgrimage sites and churches and beautiful cathedrals had just become museums and people, you yeah. know, didn't really care. However, as I've grown older and reflected on that. So at the time I was like, oh, I can't believe it. Look at all these tourists taking pictures and they're in a church and that's not okay. But looking back, I mean, if anyone has ever been in a situation like that or traveled to a site that is holy, people do, whether they know, whether they have any sense of religion or have any sense of Christianity or what this place is, everyone moves into a space like that with a sense of reverence. Right. Even if you're the tourist from who knows where with the giant camera around your head or around your neck and the, the, <laughs> the dumb hat. on, You know, there is you can watch people and you can see they slow. They reverence. There's sort of an instinctual um, drive to take hats off, usually. But whether you know where you are or not, I think most people do have a sense of reverencing a holy place, which is how the world should actually encounter all of us. If mm -hmm. we actually do bear Jesus Christ, if that's true, then we should live in such a way that that's recognizable, and we should simultaneously recognize it in others. Well, I think that that's actually the 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 gift that God pours out within the world with holy souls who dispose themselves to say, "Yes, I will be holy like you are holy." Mm. 
I mean, how many people pilgrimage to go see St. John Vianney? How many people pilgrimage to go see Padre Pio, Mother Teresa, John Paul II? I mean, these are like, like there's, there's a real, there's a real instinct inside of us to say, oh, when I see holiness in the other, I'm going to actually go and to be with them. Like the island, that, that one uh, movie about the Russian guy, Russian mystic on the um, weird little island. It's a very interesting one. I haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's excellent. But I, but I love the fact that we go and we say the first thing, okay, holiness, but then Holiness isn't equated with wisdom in the second paragraph of this of this reading. If you're if you think that okay. th- that holiness is somehow wisdom, no, 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 oh, no, no. Oh, no. in First Corinthians, yeah, right, right, because that was what the Corinthians loved. Right, that was the cultural. Right, and that was the cultural thing. And then he goes into the third paragraph. He says, you know what? No, don't boast about human beings. Mm. It's actually not found in wisdom or in personality. It's not charm or distinctions. Which is another way of saying what Leviticus says, I am the Lord. I'm the Lord. That's really what Paul's reading. He says, I'll belong to you and you to Christ and Christ to God. This This is about God. I am the Lord your God. It actually does close the same way that Leviticus does. Right, absolutely. But in a different in a different sense. Right, exactly. I'm, and that's that, good. It's the belonging, which leads us into Into Matthew. Yeah, yeah. the Lux Talionis. We are at um we're we're smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus's kind of primary uh body of teaching, at least in the Gospel of Matthew, or at yep. least where Matthew as a good accountant has collected all of them and, and put them, right? <laughs> um, and this is, it starts very importantly. So with this framework in mind, so Jesus, he's been speaking to his disciples and mm-hmm. probably more folks they are gathered on this hillside. By the way, context, oh my gosh, context is everything. Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus is standing on a hill slope in Galilee, giving a speech and Contextually, if you were listening to someone giving a speech on a hillside in Galilee, there's only one context. That's where the revolutionaries, that's where the ones who are going to try to fight to take back the kingdom of David, that's where they gathered. Outside of the the, the watching eyes of the, the Roman leaders and things, they would go to the hill slopes in Galilee. They would give rousing political speeches trying to call people to arms against the enemy. So when people see this itinerant rabbi starting to give a speech on a hill slope in Galilee, everybody knows what's supposed to happen next, right? Right. It's like, here's your enemy. Here's how I'm going to defeat the enemy. Here's Mm. what I want from you. Here's how I'm going to challenge you to take up arms, right? This is... I mean, they, we, we have this in every every facet of society, right? We just right. had the, the big uh, political debate a couple nights ago. And there's and I didn't watch much. I watched like five minutes. But it's one of those things like you can all – there's contexts in our society where you kind of know what people are going to say. There's certain formula that just people tend to follow, right? And this is sort of one of those. This is a political context. People go out because they're probably looking for another potential messiah to put their to put their weight behind, right? And then Jesus starts saying the things that he says. And he starts off with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the the peacemakers. You know, all of these things. And they're like, that. nobody said that before. They're usually like, hey, follow me because I'm going to rip Caesar Augustus off of his throne. We're going to take down Herod and we're going to destroy everything in our path because that is what we do. And Jesus is the exact opposite. Because this was successful one time with the Maccabeans and oh, with the Maccabees, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. And they're like, they're like, hold on, we need a new yeah. revolution. Absolutely. And and there's a whole. I guarantee there was other people on other hill slopes within eyeshot of Jesus. I bet giving similar speeches. 
with little crowds gathered around them as well. Right. Just to put it in a, kind of a weird context. Well, and, and I mean, you hear the Beatitudes and you're like, here's everybody who's suffering. And they're like, man, bless that's you're us. suffering. And they're like, that's all us. right, all right. What are you, you going to follow this up with? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's their hook. He's like, oh, yeah. And bless you when they persecute you. And they're like, they're like that's yeah. us. I'm persecuted. I'm meek. Yeah. I'm lonely. I've been knocked down. But I get up again. You're never gonna keep me down. Anyway, Dude, do you know that that's one of those painful songs? I had to, I had to call in, the Chubba Wumba, dude. I had to call in after losing a day long game of Monopoly to my friend Craig. I had to call into the radio station and request Chubba Wumba. And you hate it? I hate it because oh. I mean it's nothing but Monopoly pain from the best it's played game. But Monopoly pain. Yeah, dude. Sorry, that's a good line. That's a good line. Well yeah, written. man. That's uh, absolutely. All right, so Jesus says to his disciples, now here's the here's the twist. So we got the hook, and now here's the twist. Jesus <laughs> says to his disciples, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Lex well, talionis. Where have they heard stuff like that? Um, Leviticus. Leviticus. That not word for word, but it's 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 there's there's an equi- there's an idea of it's called equivalent retribution, mm. and there's a concept that's in Exodus, it's in Leviticus, it's in Deuteronomy. But the idea is, and remember, what's the context of those books? My mama told me that it's not good. It's not good, but there was a, a legal precedent because well, we talked about Leviticus. It was because God had to change his teach his pedagogy because of our immaturity. And you have to sort of bring it down to a level that that's not mature. And there was a there was a concession, so to speak. And the idea was it was intended to present escal- prevent escalating violence by making legal punishments proportionate to the crimes committed. Right. So you wouldn't want to steal because you might lose your hand next time. Right. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. It was meant to be preventative. It's not the ideal. It's not what God wants. It's actually God allowing Israel to be like the other nations mm. who practice these things. Mm. And that should have been starkly obvious that I wanted you to be a royal priesthood and a kingly people. But I guess I'll settle for you being like them for a time. And I'll let you have it your way so that I can build you back up. So they would have known this. They're like, yeah, no, that's the way it's supposed to work, right? And he says, but I say to you, I'm going to up it now, which is not really upping it. I'm going to go back to plan A. This is not who you were supposed to be. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. If somebody strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one as well. And I was thinking about the slapping of the cheek, which we've heard this one before, right? How do you slap someone on their right cheek? If the other person is right-handed, backhanded, you have to use the back. That's what I was trying to. Before the oh. podcast, I was like, "Wait, is that? Am I right on that?" I was, oh. I, was, I was like, "What are you doing?" Which actually, in the in the ancient world, that's that's so much more insulting than hitting someone with the front of your hand. It sounds like splitting. <laughs> you probably don't want to be hit by either side of the hand, but to to be struck by someone's the back of someone's hand is is even more insulting than just being struck. He's like, allow yourself to be insulted. Allow yourself to be humiliated. Allow mm. this to happen to you. And th- that's when people are like, saying, what now? <laughs> like you had us talking about being persecuted and meek and how great that is. Cool. But now you want to what now? Mm. And I, I you, can you imagine everyone's faces? I'm like, wait, what did you just say? I thought we were a revolutionary band about to take Jerusalem. And they're like, well, the Romans slap us on the cheek. If we've done something wrong or if we don't do, you know. Well, and the Romans we press us into us. service for a mile. Exactly. There was a Roman law that said if a Roman soldier pulls you off the road, they could legally force you to carry their stuff for one mile. That was a, a Roman law and everybody knew it. And Jesus says, so if somebody does this and institutes this law where they make you carry their bag for one mile, go a second one. Go mm. another. See yeah. what happens. And, and he goes on, right, um, one mile. If, if somebody tries to take your tunic, 
hand over your cloak as well. If they take something from you, give them even more than they tried to demand from you. And again, I just I wonder what it's like on people's faces. And mm. the thing I always take from this, kind of in the long game of the gospel, and then he goes on, he talks about um, loving your neighbor, hating your enemy. I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Um, there's two things, though, that I, I, I glean from this. Number one is if you actually read the specifics of what Jesus said, these are specifically the things that are going to happen to him by the end of the gospel. He will be struck. Right. He will have his tunic and cloak taken. He will have to march and carry something for multiple miles. Right. He will carry. He is going to do this. So these aren't just abstract concepts. This is the book of Leviticus coming to fruition. If you want to be holy, be like unto God. How do you be like God? Well, you carry stuff that the Romans force you to carry. You allow yourself to be stripped of your garments. You allow yourself to be slapped. You carry the cross and you allow crucifixion so that God can ro- can bring resurrection. I mean, this is literally what Jesus is going to do. Um, and what I keep thinking about, and I've been thinking about this for a couple of years, actually, is when Jesus is crucified, when these things actually do happen to him. Right. And and that means different things in our lives, right? You know, th- th- these these can be metaphorical carrying things of people. They're, they're metaphorical insults sometimes. Don't ask for someone to slap you. But I mean, we, we all bear things that we want to fight back. This is the first reading again, right? We want to hate. You've wronged me. You've criticized me. You've, you've said this horrible, slanderous thing about me. I want to hate you. And that's where Leviticus gets real. It's like, well... You're not God. God can have the justice. You do your job. And that's where Jesus actually gives us the the painful example of, okay, what does that look like in the day-to-day? Well, unfortunately, it looks like what Jesus did. Well, and this is the thing is that resentment is a luxury that no one can afford. Resentment is a luxury that no one can afford. That's good. Harbor no grudge against your people or your enemy. Because it's too expensive. It's too it costs expensive. costs everything of us to resent and to you hate. You know, my parents always said, you know, uh, resentment is like drinking poison, hoping somebody else will get hurt. <laughs> That's a good line. And and like, so Ooh. so what happens is that is Ooh. that no matter what we do, we have got to, we are not allowed to go into that zone because it is so vicious to us. Okay. Okay. So flip it. Drinking poison, hoping someone else will get hurt. Yes. Um, flip that for a second. I'm, I'm working with this analogy you just gave me because here's what here's what I've been I've been reflecting on for a while. In the Gospel of Matthew, this this Gospel, the okay. first person to profess that Jesus was who he said he was in the Gospel of Matthew was a Roman centurion. Yes. Remember this. And I, you, you got to wonder, like, is it is that total grace? Is it just sort of this gift from God that he sees this thing, or has he been primed? Has this Roman centurion tried to force a disciple of Jesus to carry his stuff for one mile? And did he get to the end of that mile and have some disciple of Jesus who he didn't know say, you know what, can I carry it for one more? And can you imagine how a Roman centurion would respond to that? Like, wait, what? Are you insulting me? He slaps him. He turns the other cheek for him. He's like, what, what, what do you do? Who are you? What kind of a person does this? Mm. And I wonder... The fact that Roman centurions through the Gospels and Acts are dropping like flies to Mm. Jesus tells me, what if some people listened to this? And what if there were a whole bunch of Romans whose pumps were kind of primed for this? And they said, there is something different about these people, and I don't have a category for them, and I don't know what to do with them. Mm. And it's not drinking the poison, hoping someone else will be poisoned. It's actually drinking the grace, hoping that someone else will be graced. 
Mm. And then you see the fruit of it in this Roman centurion who makes this proclamation. We don't mm. know who the person might have been who might have taken up Jesus on this challenge and changed the life of this Roman centurion, but we know him. Right. And we know the guy who comes later wants Jesus to heal his his servant. We know these people, and I just don't think they exist in a vacuum. That doesn't make sense to me. And because in, none of us do. And right, and, and in a certain sense, that's actually Jesus' approach. What does he do to go through the passion? He says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Right. I'm And like, Father, forgive them. He keeps on going back to grace after grace right. after grace. Not his own power, not his, not somehow. He's like, he's Which like, Which he could because he's God. Right. He's like, I will follow after you because you, the Lord, are holy. Right. And and so here, O Israel, yeah. God is holy. Uh, and he is the Lord. And if you actually are willing to just turn your attention to him, not even because this is the danger on the other side is mm. to say, I will drink the poison of this. Yeah, absolutely. And and once you start mm. saying, no, I'll drink the poison, you nope, get into nope, a nope, totally nope. messed up space spiritually. You start to say, because again, oh, we're I'm going to do it. You are right? not God. You can't do that. You'll lose faith and, and you will you will collapse under saying, oh, well, I'll drink this poison. No. no, no, you'll just say, Lord, I will follow you. And if you ask me to keep doing a little bit extra on this, you got it. I then will I'll do come. it. Then I'll right? follow. Right, I'll double it up. It's all following. Oh, it's all following. It's yeah. not... It's not thinking that I am the Lord and that I'm going to do this. No, Jesus has accomplished his passion and we just join him in that. But this is how you do it. This is how you say like, oh, okay, I will surrender myself to you, Lord. You take care of everything. I'll surrender myself to you and I'll just keep doing it. So, wow, that's good. That's good. That makes me feel like I can do my day a little bit better today. Oh, that's good. You know, and just like, (laughs) Lord, I'm going to follow after you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. and, And you're going to take care of everything and... Right. I want to give a shout out. Do it. A shout out it. to uh, the University of Idaho to Father Chase. Chase. And, Father uh, Chase. And uh, all, all the amazing people over there, the focused missionaries, the students, yeah. um, to Amy. And uh, it's just it's just the best. Oh, you guys are it. the whole staff over there. You guys just received me. I gave a talk about marijuana. Um, oh my! Uh, yeah, it was. Oh me! Oh my! Yeah, oh me! Oh my! It was. It was. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and they were. They were super kind to me, and That's great. I got to see the Palouse. Man, I'll tell you, I was in Moscow, Idaho, man, and I'll tell you that is a beautiful land. I love Idaho. Man, I'll tell you what. Except for the Palouse, I kept on expecting some Teletubbies over the what next you, hill. What do you? I don't know what you're saying. The Palouse? What is that? The Palouse <laughs> is uh is like rolling grassy hills. It's kind of like Savannah. Oh. I'm not Savannah, Georgia, but like the 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 geological formation of Savannah. Cool. Which is rolling grassy hills that rolling are just beautiful. Hills. Cool. It's absolutely phenomenally awesome. beautiful. It's a, they call it the Tuscany of the West. Kind of looks like Tuscany nice. of the West. Now I want to go to Idaho. Yeah, you should. Maybe I will. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you you can. Maybe. Maybe you should. Maybe not today. Maybe we should wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> Love you guys. Have a good day. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.